Well, good morning. Good morning, Pillar Church. Uh, this is Pastor Kanan. I just wanted to welcome you to our online stream. I hope that everybody who's at home is, I uh, hope you're staying home. Hope none of y'all are out braving the weather, trying to drive different places. Um, I'm going to pray and then we're going to get right into the word this morning. So please uh, pray with me. Father, we are grateful uh, that you have given us technology where we can gather in a digital fashion, given that the physical conditions hinder us from doing so. I'm grateful that you and your kindness have given Pillar Church in particular and churches across the state and the country and even the world this capability that others may peer in on what's usually happening within four walls, but now it's happening all over the internet um, in all kinds of digital spaces that the world may see and hear the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Uh, Lord, I pray that somehow, some way, uh, through your power, through your word, through the, the power of the Spirit of God, that you would redeem souls, souls who weren't looking for you because we know no man is searching for you. They may want the things of God. They may want peace, comfort, fulfillment, satisfaction. They may want um, answers to prayer, but no man is seeking purely to be in the presence of God. But I pray that you would show up um, despite their looking for you, despite their seeking for you, that you would show up in their inbox, show up on their live stream, that before they could hit mute on a preacher, uh, they hear the word of life, the word of truth and that it convicts their soul in such a way where they unmute that Instagram feed or they unmute that Facebook feed and that they listen and take in the word of God. Um, Lord, I, as a, that's just an example of, of things, Lord. You, you're far greater than, than we are, than I am, and, and you, have your ways of, um, and opening, you have your ways of opening the eyes of the blind. And so, Lord, I pray that you would this morning, that you would open the eyes of the blind. I pray that you would encourage the hearts of the saints, that somehow, some way, you would use this word spoken by these feeble lips to proclaim the gospel of truth to these people's hearts. Lord, help us, fill us with your spirit, use us in Christ's name, amen. Um, I also want to, before we get into the word, uh, ask you guys, or let you guys know that you should be seeing a cross-reference sheet uh, in the comments or in the description, go ahead and, and, and download that or, or utilize that throughout the message. Every message that we preach here at Pillar Church, we have a cross-reference sheet with all the scriptures that will be referenced in the sermon, or at least most of them. And, uh, and some of them can be extensive at times. And so sometimes it helps if you have that cross-reference sheet at the ready, where you can just open it and you can follow along uh, in, 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 with the different cross-references uh, in your own hand. And so if you want to go ahead there and, and download that, I'll give you a few moments and then we'll dive into what God's word uh, has for us this morning. This morning, we're going to be continuing our series in the book of Malachi entitled True Worship. And it's called True Worship because that's exactly what God is calling us to do. He wants us to, to participate in true, authentic worship of him. 
He desires that we give him not perfect worship because we're incapable of such things. Not even lavish worship is not what he's asking for. He's asking for authenticity. He's asking for genuine heart desire to worship him in spirit and in truth. And I know that that can be hard given all the external pressures and external evils of this world. As I think about external pressures and external evils, I mean, just turn on the news. It's evil after evil. It's pressure after pressure. It's tragedy after tragedy. There's um, unarmed black men and women being shot and killed. And if it's not that, then it's insurrections on the Capitol. And if it's not that, then it's babies being killed in utero. And if it's not that, then it's COVID-19. And if it's not that, it's 100 car pileups on I-35. And if it's not that, then there's murder on the streets, down the street. I mean, if it's not that, it's, I mean, it, it just continues. It's almost like watching the news is depressing because of all the evil that we see in this world. And I don't know about you, but, but there's been times where I've prayed like, Lord, come on. Just, just come on and vaporize all this. Just come fix this evil. Come fix these problems. Come, come, come put out this smoke. You ever prayed that prayer where you're just asking God to just eradicate all evil, eradicate all injustice, get rid of all of it. And there's times where we pray that prayer. We ask God to get rid of the evils and the injustices and he doesn't. And they persist. And it causes you to wonder, where is the God of justice? Where's the God of power and might. You're asking God to come make this right, eradicate all evil. But dare I say this, we have to be careful what we ask for. Because it's easy to see the sins around us, but what's harder is to recognize and see the sins that are deep within us. It's easy to see the sins that impact us from the external. Those are simple because they're hurting us from outside, but it's harder to detect the sins that are maybe killing us from the inside. It's like, it's like having a, a cancer, so to speak. If somebody's harming your flesh from the outside, you feel it, you see it, your senses pick it up. But sometimes when it's inside, you don't recognize it until it's too late. And sometimes the, the damage of the, the evils on the inside do more damage to you than that which comes from the external. We allow the things outside of us to take all of our attention and we don't take time for introspection. We don't take time for what's going on in my soul. What's going on in my heart? Is, is there anything impure within me? You know, if you pray that God vaporizes all injustice, if you pray that God vaporizes all evil, be careful because you may get swept away in the fray as well. See what we forget is that we ourselves are full of sin full of evil, full of injustice in so many ways. You ever watch The Truman Show with Jim Carrey, where his whole life is on display for the whole world to see on, on network television? And as I, as I watch that movie, it's an old movie, as I watch that movie, I often think, what if all of my thoughts were on display for someone to see? I wonder what kind of things they would say about me, what kind of things they would feel about me, what kind of things they would believe about me. Because my thoughts are often, more often than I want to admit, my thoughts are sometimes evil. They're sometimes unholy. 
impure. And if you're honest with yourself, your thoughts are sometimes evil, sometimes unholy, sometimes impure, especially if you're fighting with your spouse, especially when your kids are disobeying you. And you're just looking at them and you just got that, that thought running through your head, right? See, if we ask God to ev- eradicate all evil, we too get swept up in the fray. The people of Judah, here in the book of Malachi, if you haven't opened your Bible to Malachi, open it up now to the book of Malachi. The people of Judah in the book of Malachi are experiencing a similar reality to that which we experience today. They are um, finding themselves wondering, where's God's presence? How come God is not fulfilling his promises? That's a big deal right now for them. God, you're not fulfilling your, pre- your, your promise to be present They believe that all God needs to do is come. You see, the people of Judah in this particular time, in this passage, are experiencing evils that are coming from outside, external evils. They've returned home from a Babylonian captivity, but they didn't return to an empty land. They returned to an inhabited land. After 70 years, a people will come and inhabit the land that used to be yours. And now there are rulers and kingdoms and vassal um, leaders in their homeland. And so they're coming in, not coming in as the most prominent, the most prestigious or having any authority. They're coming in on the bottom shelf. And so they're wondering, God, where are you? God, if, if you would but come, then the, the pressures from these other people groups that are oppressing us, that are harming us, that are hurting us, all of that would go away. See, the reality is that God's presence is a scary thing and nothing remains the same after we've encountered the Holy One. So the people of Judah are asking for God's presence to come because if God's presence comes, they'll be back where they were. But what they didn't realize is that God's presence is like a refiner's fire. They never thought that it would come back on their own heads. Turn with me in your copy of God's word to Malachi chapter two, verse 17. It says, you have wearied the Lord with your words. Yet you ask, how have we wearied him? Well, when you say everyone who does evil is good in the Lord's sight and he is delighted with them or else where is the God of justice? Stop there. The people of Judah are accusing God of being unjust because they see all this evil around them and they're putting God on the hook for everything that's happening to them. They're putting God on the hook for not doing anything about the evil that they're experiencing. And so they're like, God, where you at? You must be okay with evildoers. Where's the God of justice? How come your hand is not moving? They're saying, in effect, God must favor evil. Surely the God of justice would not allow us to continue under this, um, this, this yoke any longer. We've just been set free from yoke. Surely he's not going to let us remain in, it in our own homeland. You see, God had indeed promised the people of Judah prosperity. 
and they, uh, he did so because during the time of Malachi, Malachi had a contemporary named Zechariah. And in Zechariah chapter 1, you see this in your cross-reference sheet, God said this through the prophet Zechariah, Zechariah chapter 1, verse 17. It says, I have returned to Jerusalem. Uh, my house will be rebuilt within it. This is the declaration of the Lord of armies. Proclaim further. This is what the Lord of armies says. My cities, listen to this. My cities will again overflow with prosperity. The Lord will once more comfort Zion and again choose Jerusalem. You hear those words? Look at Zechariah chapter 8 in your cross-reference sheet. Starting at verse 3. It says, the Lord says this, I will return to Zion and live in Jerusalem. Then Jerusalem will be called the faithful city. Old men, old men and women will again sit along the streets of Jerusalem. Verse five, the streets of the city will be filled with boys and girls playing in them. Though it may seem impossible to the remnant of that people in those days, should it also seem impossible to me? This is the declaration of the Lord of armies. The Lord of armies says this, I will save my people from the land of the east and from the land of the west. I will bring them back to live in Jerusalem. They will be my people and I will be their faithful and righteous God. Check that out. If you listened to what God said through the prophet Zechariah, it's beautiful language, promising language, prosperous language. But since their return, they've been living in anything but prosperity. They've been living in, in, in horrible conditions. In fact, Malachi had another contemporary by the name of Nehemiah. And Nehemiah, not recording what God has promised, tends to, uh, is recording what is the actual condition of the people living in Judah at this particular time. And look what he says in your cross-reference sheet in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 36 and 38. It says, here we are today. Slaves in the land you gave our ancestors. So they say, uh, so, they, uh, so that they could enjoy the fruits, and the, uh, so that they may enjoy the fruits and its goodness. Here we are, slaves in it. Verse 37. Its abundant harvest goes to the kings that you have set over us because of our sins. They rule over our bodies and our livestock as they please. We are in great distress couple Nehemiah's words with Zechariah's words. The two aren't the same. One is promising prosperity and, and joy and, and, and prominence. And the other one's like, no, we're living in desolation. Everything is horrible. Nothing is good right now. We are slaves in our own homeland. They're living in social and political oppression and economic privation. Have you ever experienced this? Not living in social, political oppression or economic privation, as ironic as that may be. I'm not, I'm not saying that. Rather, uh, have you ever experienced God making a promise to you? However, you felt like you're experiencing the opposite of his promise. You know, when God promised to never leave you or forsake you in Hebrews 13, 5. But you feel left and forsaken by him. You know, like in Matthew chapter six, when God promises to provide your daily provisions, but you have no food, no shelter, no water, no power. 
How about in Matthew chapter 11, where God promises you soul rest, but you're experiencing anything but soul rest. You have inner turmoil going on. You got weariness and internal confusion. You're all jacked up. Have you ever experienced the the confusion of God's promises in your present reality? You see, when we don't see God's promises coming to fruition in the way and in the timing in which we want it to, we end up having a heart like the psalmist does in Psalm 73. Look in your cross-reference sheet because this is what naturally happens. And and many of us are going to relate to the psalmist here. He said, God is indeed good to Israel, to the pure in heart. But as for me, my feet almost slipped. My steps nearly went astray. For I envied the arrogant. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have an easy time until they die and their bodies are well fed. They're not in trouble like others. They're not afflicted like most people. Therefore, pride is their necklace and violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge out from fatness. The imaginations of their hearts run wild. They mock and they speak maliciously. They arrogantly threaten oppression. They set their mouths against heaven and their tongues strut across the earth. Therefore, his people turn to them and drink in their ever flowing words, right? They're influential. The wicked say, how can God know? Does the most high know everything? Look at them, the wicked. They're always at ease and they increase their wealth. Did I purify? my heart and wash my hands in innocence for nothing? Right, that line right there. <laughs> hey, did I, am, I, am I trying to walk out this holy life unto the Lord for nothing? Verse 14, for I'm afflicted all day long and punished every morning. Now the psalmist kind of gives us another view. Look what he says here. And I know y'all are going to feel this. Look at verse 15. If I had decided to say these things aloud, I would have betrayed your people. When I tried to understand all this, it seemed hopeless. I know you can relate to this when God's promises don't come to fruition the way in which you think or want them to come to fruition. In fact, when you're living in such a situation or condition that is is completely opposite of what God had promised, that's what you feel. God, where you at? But then look at verse 17 of Psalm 73. The psalmist having all these thoughts, but then he says, until I entered God's sanctuary, things change now. Then I understood their destiny. Indeed, you put them in slippery places. You make them fall into ruin. How suddenly They become a desolation. They come to an end, swept away by terrors. Has not our news stations shown us this with certain prominent Hollywood executives on a slippery slope and overnight everything they have is gone. 
verse 20, like one waking from a dream, Lord, when arising, you will despise their image. Verse 21 says, when I became embittered and my innermost being was wounded, I was stupid and didn't understand. I was an unthinking animal towards you. And this is what our circumstances do to us. They cause us to be reactionary, pure, purely reactionary. And we become like unthinking animals. We don't, we're hurt and we don't think through a situation. We just react to a situation. God promises this. I'm getting this. We don't think through any of the, the potentials or the rationale or the variables in it. We just go, nah, you know what? I'm going to react. Nah, God, you, you, you can't be. Look at, look at these, these non-God fearers coming up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drink in their words. And here the psalmist talks about, yeah, I was like an unthinking animal. I was reactionary towards you. And then verse 23, you hear this hope from the psalmist. He says, yet I am always with you. Underline that in your Bible. That's what you want. You want to be always with him. You hold my right hand. Notice it's God doing the holding, not us doing the holding. Anyway, verse 24, you guide me. Notice who's doing all the action here. God, right? You guide me with your counsel. And after you will take me up in glory. Who do I have in heaven but you? And I desire nothing on earth but you, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is my, is the strength of my heart, my portion forever. Those far from you will certainly perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, God's presence is my good and I am made and I have made the Lord God, my refuge, so I can tell about all you do. Now, I want you to notice the psalmist change in disposition throughout the psalm. What changed? It wasn't their political circumstances that caused the psalmist to change. It wasn't the, the economic status of uh, 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 around the circumstances around the psalmist that made his heart change. No, though uh, fighting for political um, uh, Though fighting for economic change and political circumstance change are both helpful, necessary, and needed, the psalmist needed something more. There was something more that was going to change his soul. He needed something that was going to satisfy his soul, something that was going to hit a little deeper. Because as soon as they have economic uh, um, prosperity, economic wholeness, that's just another potential idol that's going to rise up within them. People worship whatever's in front of them. You need something that's going to hit a little deeper. Everything changed for the psalmist when he was in close proximity to God. Did you notice that? He entered, verse 17, when he entered God's sanctuary and then God was holding his hand and guiding him. Once he was close to God, once he was close to Jesus, everything changed for the psalmist. The people of Judah know this reality. They understand the reality that when God comes, things change. And so Judah wants God to fulfill his promise of coming, the promise that he told through the prophet Zechariah. He's like, yo, you said you was going to come. And they're thinking that, God, when you come, you're going to restore us politically and economically. And we're going to have power in this region again once you return. And so they're like, God, come on, come back. 
Fulfill your promise. They want to regain their economic and political fortitude. God said so in Zechariah chapter 8. Remember, and, and look in your cross-reference sheet, you may have missed it when we read verse 3. But look at the, when this happens, then this happens, right? In verse 8 of Zechariah, I'm sorry, verse 3 of Zechariah chapter 8, the Lord says this. He says, I will return to Zion and live in Jerusalem. Then Jerusalem will be called the faithful city and the old men and women will sit along the streets and the kids will play, continue, etc., etc." Zechariah chapter 2, verse 10 to 13 says this, Daughter Zion, shout for joy and be glad, for I am coming to dwell among you. God is promising to come. And so the people during Malachi's day are like, yo, you promised to come. Let's go. Come on. They're holding him to it. They wanted God's presence to be with them like it was back in the days of the tabernacle in Exodus 40. When God was a guiding light for them during the day and the night in the wilderness. They wanted God's presence to be back with them the way it was in 1 Kings 8. When God's presence filled the temple and Israel was at their political and economic height. The time is now, they thought. The time for prosperity is now. Crush your enemies with your holiness, Lord. Uh, lead us to prosperity again. Come on back to the temple. It's here. Let's do this. Let's go. Come back. But what they didn't realize is that God's holiness does not discriminate when it comes to evil. Their eyes are seeing the evil around them. And they know that God's presence, when it comes, will deal with the evil around them. But God's holiness doesn't just deal with the evil around us. His holiness is going to also deal with our evil within us. They weren't ready for that. Look at Malachi chapter 3 verse 1. God says, see... I'm going to send my messenger and he will clear the way before me. Then the Lord you seek will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant you delight in and see he is coming, says the Lord of armies. Let's stop there real quick. The first sign of the Lord's coming is the, the, the coming of a forerunner that will come and clear the way for the Lord. Does that sound similar? To something that sounds familiar, it's describing the ministry of John the Baptist. In Matthew, when you cross-reference sheet, in Matthew chapter 3, verse 1 through 3, Jesus says, it says this, it says, In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. Verse 3, here's the key. For he is the one spoken through the prophet Isaiah, who said, a voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make his paths straight. That's the job of the forerunner. That's the job of the messenger. His job is to clear away all the fog and all the obstacles so that we can see with right vision a view of the king's processional. His job is to clear everything away so that when the king walks through, there's nothing hindering his way, nor the vision in sight to him. Everyone will know, here comes the king. Right? That's the messenger's job. And God said that after his messenger comes and clears the way, 
then he will come and clear the way. Now, now for all my apologetic heads, this is a, a low-key defense of Jesus's deity. How? Because in, 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 in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says that John the Baptist is the messenger spoken of in Malachi chapter 3 verse 1. And of necessity, if John the Baptist is the messenger from Malachi 3 verse 1, who is John the Baptist clearing the way for? The person of Jesus. So if John the Baptist is the messenger of Malachi 3, Jesus is the Lord of Malachi chapter 3 verse 1. You can put that in your pocket and use it later. But now, Judah wanted God to fulfill the promise of his presence and all that comes with it. But here, they're going to get more than what they bargained for. Look at Malachi 3 verse 2. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who will be able to stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire and like a launderer's bleach. Stop there. Well, I'm familiar with that language of a refiner's fire because most of us don't work in a field or an industry where this is necessary. But a refiner's fire, the, the, the heat of a refiner's fire, they have something called a crucible. And, and the crucible is a container in which they would heat up to about 1,800 degrees or more. And when they put the precious metal into the crucible, it would melt the metal. And once it melted the metal, it would cause the impurities to rise to the top or be disintegrated. And they would take and sift the impurities off the top and discard of them, thus giving you purified gold or silver or whatever the precious metal may be. Sometimes this process took days and its purpose was to give you pure, clean, beautiful metal, but it only does so through the heat of the crucible. If the, the precious metal doesn't go through the crucible, it's never refined and the impurities remain. And the ministry of Jesus is similar to a refiner's fire. Just as the heat of the refiner's fire does violence to the impurities within it and, 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 and makes the precious metals more pure, so too is the work of Jesus. Because in 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, it says that the work of Jesus and Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, which is sin in the life of the Christian of whom Jesus came to purify. Look at Malachi chapter 3, verses 3 through 4. He says, he will be like a refiner's, he will be like a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. But then look what it says at the end of verse three. Then they will present offerings to the Lord in righteousness. In verse four. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will please the Lord as in the days of old and years gone by. You see, once God purifies the motives, once God purifies your heart, once God purifies whatever is causing them and us to give half-hearted, three-legged worship unto God, these lame and sick animals, once he purifies us, once we go through the crucible, then we will offer right and righteous sacrifices to God because our motive is pure. Our desires are pure. 
In effect, we'll be giving God a righteous offering. Notice not a perfect offering. Notice not the most elegant offering, but a, a pure offering, a, a true offering, a righteous offering, acceptable to God. And here's the thing about a true and, and, and pure offering. It's not only acceptable to God, it's satisfying to our own soul. When you know you've just poured out a genuine offering unto God, you can rest easy because you know God's not coming at your head for giving him false worship. For offering is to be acceptable before the Lord. We must allow the heat of God's refining fire to sift us of our idolatrous impurities. We got to let the word of God search us to see if there is any evil way within us. We must allow Jesus to expose our secret sins. We all have these secret sins. You have secret sins. Like that affair you had that you didn't tell your spouse about. Like how you abuse those kids. Like how you're trying to keep a secret your prescription drug addiction. Some of us are trying to escape from some reality with travel and with sitcoms. We need God's word to expose us of these things. We must allow God's word to expose us from our, our safe sins, sins that we don't often talk about when we get together in Christian circles, but they're there within us. Common ones that we know of nowadays that are now coming to the surface is ones like racism. But here's one that many of you have had that you may not have voiced how some of you side eye interracial couples and you side eye them because you think somehow, some way you have something better to offer the individual who looks like you. Oh, you thought ain't nobody know that. We got to allow God's word to challenge us out of our late night binge eating because we do that to pacify our emotions because something is broken within You say, Pastor K, that's a little scary that you may even know any of this. But how do I allow God's word to sift me in such a way to purify me like this? There could be a hundred answers to a question like that, but I want to give you nine and they overlap. And they're not overly complicated, nor where I, was I trying to be overly deep. Just apply one or two. And the, the, the snowball effect will, will happen. Here, here's a few. Number one, ask God to open your eyes wider every time you're under his word. Never be under God's word and not ask God to open your eyes wider. Let you see more. Understand more. Connected to that, number two. When you're listening to God's word, you're not listening with a, with a cynical ear. You're not listening for your level of enjoyment of the word. You're listening to ask yourself this one question. How do I fare under the true preaching of the word? How do I fare under the points of that message? Number three. When you read, read with a prayerful disposition instead of a hurried one. A lot of us get up, we hurry up, get our chapter in and we're moving on. 
read two verses prayerfully rather than a chapter in a, in a, in a hurried fashion. But do it in a prayerful fashion. Ask God to search you as you read. Make it applicable to my soul. That's what the Spirit of God does. He applies the word to us. Number four, ask a mature believer about any blind spots in your faith walk. It's hard to be vulnerable, especially if you're like me. Being vulnerable is hard for me. I don't want anybody to think that they, they helped me. I don't want anybody to think that, that anything that I've done is because they helped me. I'm very prideful. And so I need other believers to walk up to me, to talk to me, to be like, okay, you got a little, a little issue right here and you need that too. I need it. You need it. You need to ask mature believers who we trust. Do I got a blind spot in my face somewhere? One person, you know, he won't like me saying this, but that's one of the reasons why I love Pastor Derek. Because he's, he, he's going to challenge me and challenge us. And it's, it's like in his nature to look at us and be like, man, have you considered? It's beautiful. Shout out to Pastor Derek. Number five, make confession and repentance a regular occurrence. Don't go a day without contemplating your, your, your don't go a day without contemplating what happened that day and not repenting where necessary, because that's going to give you a greater spiritual awareness of where you actually are with the Lord when you consider those things. I'm going to speed this up. Number six, be transparent about where you are with God and where you want to be with God. Don't pretend you're somewhere that you're not. Be transparent about it. Number seven, spend significant time in prayer, surrendering, surrendering your sovereignty to God. That's important. We got to be learning to surrender our sovereignty to God because we think we have some kind of freedom, but we don't. And the quicker we can surrender what we think we have, the less disappointed we will be. Number eight, be dependent and thankful. Be dependent and thankful on and to God for every breath that we take. I'm guilty of living under my own strength, my own power. Number nine, last one on this thing, believe and obey the word with all you've got. Don't take any of the word lightly because we like to, to, to hold firm to the things we like and the things that we don't like are culturally irrelevant. Uh, we feel is culturally either, either insensitive or irrelevant. We don't take those. No, we hold to all of the word. Whatever it says, we got to hold to it. In this way, the word of God will sift your inner man. The truths of Jesus will saturate your inner being because you're exposing yourself to the heat of God's fire. Look at Malachi chapter three, verse five. God says, I will come to you in judgment and I will be ready to witness against sorcerers and adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker, the widow and the faith and the fatherless, and against those who deny justice to the resident alien. They do not fear me, says the Lord of armies. I like the way that NIV says, uh, says verse, the beginning of verse five. He says, I will put you on trial. Now, when the people of Judah in Malachi's day heard Malachi say these words, their immediate thought is to say, word, you're coming and you're going to judge all the sorcerers and the adulterers and those who are treating the, the, the resident alien evil and, and, and the fatherless evil. And they're pointing this way, this way, this way. But what did God say? He says, I'm coming to bring judgment. I'm coming to, to refine the sons of Levi. I'm coming to refine you. That's why I like the way the NIV says it. He says, I'm putting you on trial, not the nations, you. 
Judah dabbled in divination. You see that in your cross-reference sheet. Judah was adulterous. You'll see that in your cross-reference sheet. 250 years before Malachi was written, Hosea tells us of how Judah was, was swearing falsely. God's not naming things that are outside of the people of God. He's naming things that are within the people of God, whether it be internally in their heart or externally being acted upon with their very hands. The reality is there was sin in the camp and God was about to root it out with his presence. This judgment that God is going to, to put on them is not punitive in nature. That's not the context of the passage. It's not, he's not, he's not going to destroy them for their sin. He's going to purify them for their sin. But purity comes through the crucible. Purity hurts. He's going to burn up the impurities within them with the flame of his holy presence, cleansing them and building them into a holy nation. Look at Malachi chapter three, verse six. He says, because I, the Lord, have not changed, you descendants of Jacob have not been destroyed. You see that his judgment is not to destroy the people of God. It's to purify the people of God. God's love through mercy shows itself once again. God, is not God uh, has not destroyed them because of the covenant he made with them. That they would be his people and that he would be their God. Remember, God will remain faithful to his promise because he, he, he cannot deny himself. He's going to uphold his side of the promise. And guys, that's good news for us because we are often faithless. Though we are God's people, we too falsely accuse God of not following through on his promises. And I know we didn't get to how God uh, fulfilled this promise, but we will in a second. We too have begged God to rain down the fires of justice in, uh, against those who have sinned against us. But just like the people of Judah, we're ignorant and we're faithless. Our eyes are outward. And we've yet to consider the status of our own innermost being. We have yet to truly evaluate the sin within. But God in his mercy and grace is not going to destroy us with his holy actions and his holy presence, but rather it's going to be an act of divine mercy to expose our sin and not only to expose our sin, but to purify us of it. And the means by which God exposes sin and purifies us is the flame, which is light and heat of his holy presence. Namely, that 2,000 years ago, God took on human flesh and dwelt, key word, dwelt among us. John chapter 1, verse 14. That word dwelt means tabernacle. That means that God came to live amongst a people. When God and the person of Jesus came, he lived a righteous and holy life. When, he came, when God and the person of Jesus came, he exposed our sin by bringing God's truth to bear on our hearts. When God and the person of Jesus came, he willingly took on the wrath of God for all who believed in him. And rather than these people being destroyed, those who believed would be saved. They would be justified, but they would also be purified. So that those who believe would be able to offer a righteous and acceptable offering. This cleansing only takes place through faith for all who trust in Christ. This purification of our iniquities only takes place with holy proximity to Jesus. Some of us don't want the heat of God's presence to purify us from our sinful impurities. I was talking to a friend yesterday, and maybe you relate. Has God ever been like too real to you? Like where it's kind of scary? 
like, like something that only the divine could do happened. And you're like, like it's kind of scares you. The reality of his presence, the reality of his existence kind of scares you. And so some of you don't want God's presence in and around you because it's straight scary. But some of us don't want God's presence around us because we like the impurities. We indulge in the sin. We're comfortable with them. But God hates those sinful impurities. They're a cancer within our system. They're eating away at our soul day after day. And we wonder why we're down, we're depressed, we're far from God. It's because the presence of God is not in us, illuminating, exposing, and purifying. And I pray that if you're one of those people who don't want God's presence to be on you, that the beginning of verse five of Malachi three is true for you. He says, he's not waiting for you to come. He says, I'm coming to you. The flames of the refiner's fire are hot and uncomfortable, but so wasn't the cross for you. See, the promise for the people of Judah was something that would be fulfilled later because Haggai tells us in your cross-reference sheet that there will be a greater glory to come. And that greater glory is fulfilled in the person of Jesus who came to his people and who gives them life and light and joy and fulfillment and salvation from sin and unification and reconciliation with God. He uplifts a people from every tribe and nation. So when he comes, he doesn't just deal with the sin within the people of Judah. He comes and deals with the sin of the people of the world and thereby unifying these people under one banner, which is the banner of the gospel of Christ. The person of Jesus tabernacled. He dwelled within us. The presence of God returned to the temple. He returned to the people in the person of Jesus. And now what are we? Hebrews 1, 3. It says, for, 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 for Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. That's what they wanted, right? God's glory to come back. He's the exact expression of God's nature. He's sustaining all things by, his power, by the power of his word. And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. Guys, be patient when you're viewing God's promises. Don't accuse the God of justice of not being there. Rather, ask God to give you biblical lenses to see what he's doing in and through you and the people around him, around you. as a result of the person of Jesus. Oh, there's more I want to say. I'm going to stop right there because it's going to come up in the next chapter. Lord, thank you for your grace and mercy. Thank you for reminding us that sometimes your promises come to fruition in a way that is far richer, far deeper than what our human eyes can see and our human flesh can feel. Lord, give us biblical lenses, spiritual eyes. Give us patience that when we see your promises, we know that you're not unfaithful to, to fulfill them, but that you will fulfill them in your perfect timing and that we will be the beneficiary of that promise, even though now we endure. Just like, the, just like it said in Zechariah, though those people would say it's impossible for it to happen right now, God says, is anything impossible for me? No, 
nothing is impossible for you. So, Lord, give us the strength to endure. Be close to us. Give us a holy proximity to Jesus that we may endure, that you may expose the sin within, that the cancer that is eating us from within, and that you may purify us from all of our impurities. And in that, we can rest in the sovereignty of your holy hand. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, I want to thank you for being a part of our Pillar Church live stream. Um, I want to remind you that if you go to the, to the website, pillar.church, uh, you'll be able to see all of our upcoming events, including membership, um, membership classes, um, our prayer. We pray every Wednesday. Pastor Eric leads that on Wednesday mornings at 9 a.m. A link is in on the website under the events and connect page. If you want to connect to us, if you want to ask for prayer, um, if you want to just ask questions about the church, you can do so on the Pillar Church app. You can do so on the website at pillar.church under the connect tab. Um, and there may be even a link in the description or in the comment section that you can click on and, and we'll communicate directly with you. We do pray for you. So if you have a prayer request, you can leave it anonymous. You put, put a name, put John Doe if you don't want us to know who you are. That's fine, but we will pray for you. And if you desire to give to the, to the work of the ministry, you can also do that at pillar.church under the give tab. Thank you all so much for being with us. Please be safe and worship the King today. We thank you.